Thank you for tuning into our podcast. Here at Velocity, we love to know when lives are impacted. And if that is you, please shoot us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the message. I want to talk to you about increase your reach. Increase your reach. Uh, we're beginning the series last week, second week of it today, Leadership Laboratory. I'm giving you some practical leadership skills. Last week, we talked about how to find your flow. How many of you used that this past week? You are uh, digging into some things. You're getting your hands dirty. You're excavating. You're evaluating. Well, this week, I want to talk to you about how to increase your reach. And I know there's some people here, you're thinking, I don't even know why uh, you would do a leadership series. That just doesn't seem very biblical, very, very scriptural, pastor. Well, first of all, uh, you're wrong. Second, second, like I said, we're here to build people. But I told you last week, the church is the hope of the world. Well, the truth is, the future of the church rests in the hands of its leaders. And so if we're going to reach the world, if we're going to fulfill and live out the mission of Jesus, we have to become better leaders. And you're going to see that today. And I want to set us up with this uh, thought as we begin, that Jesus came to reach the world. You believe that, right? Yeah. Jesus came to reach the world. And, you know, one of the things that you see at the outset is God didn't give him a preassembled team. One of the very first things you see Jesus do in his ministry is he goes into this sort of recruitment mode, this recruitment phase. He's inviting people to be a part of what God has called him to do. And if you've been around church any time at all, if you know anything about this, he chose all the wrong people. I mean, at least from a pedigree standpoint. He didn't go to the synagogues and look to the best and the brightest, most promising prospects. He went to places where people weren't necessarily religious, and he started inviting those people. And this is encouraging to me, uh, because as I was reflecting back on just how we got here, six years, look at what God has done, um, this, this thought really encouraged me, because what you might not know is how we started this church. Uh, when we started this church six years ago, uh, when my wife and I moved here, uh, we didn't move here with a team. Uh, we moved here, we had no relational connection to this place, no friends, no family, we had never lived here. We didn't know anything about this place. Didn't even know that the Jayhawks hailed from here. We didn't know any of it. We, we had never been here before. And, and we moved here with no team. Uh, we started this church with $10,000. That was not a strategy, by the way. That was, my, my goal was to start it with $100,000. I'm just a horrible fundraiser. And, and uh, we, we started with $10,000. Uh, 6000 of that was, was money that my wife and I had saved up, 4000 we'd raised from friends and family. And that's how we got started. Now, what you got to understand, I mean, now church planning is down to a science. They, they've got uh, so many skills, and now I get to participate in, in the right way to do it because I've learned from my mistakes. In fact, uh, one thing I want you to know that you're a part of is today, ARC, an organization that we're a part of, today uh, they are launching, we are launching, you have helped launch, 36 churches today. 36 churches are, are starting. Uh, many of those guys I know personally, and 
you get to have a part in that. That's because of your generosity. Uh, some of them we funded personally. Some of we give to ARC in general, and they help fund these guys and so uh, and girls. And so, and so it's amazing to see what God is doing. But uh, when we started here, that, that wasn't our story. We didn't have that. And in an effort to, to try and raise money, I, I was trying to connect with organizations that would plant churches. And I came across this one organization out of Kansas City uh, that had a heart to reach the heartland. And uh, I, I was just, you know, working every avenue. And I uh, spent some time building relationships with some of these people, going to some of their meetings and getting to know them. And uh, it, was, it was looking really promising. And, and part of it, I was, I was trying to... Uh, garner his support and investment, this one guy in particular who was part of this group, and I invited him to one of our preview services. Preview service, meaning we hadn't launched yet. That's what you do uh, before you invite the communities. You try and practice things. And so uh, I invited this guy. Uh, I said, hey, you know, I, I know we've been talking about you, you funding us, and why don't you come check out one of our services, kind of get a feel for our heart and our mission and uh, I remember this preview service. It was our second preview service, and it was amazing. We had 60 people at our preview service. I mean, that in and of itself was a miracle to me because we moved here not knowing anybody. So 60 people showed up to this practice service. It was unofficial. And, uh, you know, we, we had our worship team, and they were incredible. We, we, had, we opened with this really cool element uh, by One Republic. This guy did a song from One Republic, kind of opened up because we were always trying to be creative and and we did our worship set. We had this cool video media element that we had put together, and I was excited about that. The worship, I mean, it was on fire. It was passionate. It was incredible. And, and then I had this great message. We had three preview services. I was doing a series called Shoulda, Coulda, Woulda, and I was talking about the regrets in our life and how we deal with that. What if I had? What if I hadn't? What if I do? It was amazing, this preview service. I invited this guy to come, come check it out. And I greeted him. So glad he came. Afterwards, we connected, and I said, man, it's amazing. Well, I'm so glad you came. It's like, yeah, it was, it was great, you know. And, and we made a point to follow up that coming Tuesday, and we, we were going to talk about this funding piece because this, this, this is real critical. I wanted to know my heart. I wanted to see this vision of what God could do. I mean, 60 people showing up, and we had never even been here, you know, didn't know any. Like, this is so incredible. I told my wife, babe, you know, this is going to happen. Like, you know, this dream in our heart, and, you know, we're trying to figure out how we're going to afford to purchase some of this equipment because, and we only had, you know, like $10,000, really didn't even have that much at this point. So, so we were doing this, and I met with him on Tuesday. I met at a coffee shop, and, uh, and we had some small talk, and, and finally I couldn't, I couldn't hold back anymore. I said, so tell me, tell me about your experience. What was it like? What did you think? Knowing, I mean, how was he not going to love it? So he's like, well, I got good news and I got bad news. What do you want me to tell you first? I'm like, well... Obviously, the good news is he's going to, you know, give us some money. So I'm like, tell me the bad news first. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. You know, just get, get the pain out of the way. He's like, all right, what did I think about your church? I thought your church sucked. And I'm sorry if that offends you. That's the word he used, okay? That's the word he used. I, I thought it sucked. And I was like, after I, like, you know, picked up my jaw, I was, you're going to have to help me out because um, I, I don't really know what you, what you mean by that. It's like, okay, well, first of all, whoever was doing your slides, like, they must have been drunk. And in fairness, maybe. I don't know. I mean, it was a previous service trying to reach unsafe people. So, um, yeah, I'm like, okay, I, I, I get it. Maybe, maybe the, the guy, truth be told, it was his first time doing it. I get, 
there were some mistakes. That's why it's a preview service. But that doesn't like, I mean, that doesn't constitute the whole experience being bad. So, okay, yeah, I get it. I get it. What, what, what else you got? Well, your worship team, you're never going to build a great church with worship like that. You should get rid of all of them and, and find new people. Like, it's just not going to, it's not going to work. And I'm like, okay, well, I mean, like some of them, you know, we're still gelling. Like this is the first time some of them have played together. We're still trying to figure this out. I, I, maybe it's not like what you want. And so I'm thinking, man, I'm ready for this good news. Like, let's just get to that point. So by this point, I'm fishing for a compliment. I'm saying, okay, so you didn't, I get it. So there was some stuff in the service flow, the worship. I get all that. But at least tell me, how'd you like the preaching? Because I need a compliment at this point. And I know the message was fire. So I'm like, tell me, okay, what did you think about the preaching? And it's like, okay, well, I'll tell you. Uh, on a scale of one to 10, I would give you a three. So after I punched him in the face, I, um, I, I said, what? Excuse me. He said, yeah, I'll give you a three. And I'm being generous. I mean, I'm just giving you one point just for going up there. And uh, so some of you are like, well, what was the good news in this? Well, the, the good news, he's like, hey, but I'll tell you what. I am willing to coach you. And it's going to be a year-long relationship. But I'm telling you, if, um, if you do, like, you, you can really you know, amount to something. And I said, man, look, I thought you want, I thought you want to plant churches. I thought you want to invest. If you don't, that's fine. We're planning this church in six weeks. It's your opportunity to be part of something. And he said, look, if you don't do this with me, I don't give you a year. And so if everybody would just like cram in for this photo, I want to send this to him. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Uh, thought about it, but no, I wouldn't do that. But the truth is, as, as, painful and as frustrating as that was in the moment. And I look back, I'm, I'm so thankful now. Honestly, I'm so thankful. And, and how, how I would put it is, I would say, thank you for affirming what I've always known, that I'm not cut out for this. Thank you for affirming what I've always known, that, that I'm not built for this. And thank you for putting me in the same category of every other person that God has ever used. In fact, I made a list as I was reflecting on this moment. I just want to share with you. Uh, Noah was a drunk. Maybe he was running our slides. I don't know. Uh, Abraham was too old. Isaac was a dreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was not very good looking. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid and hid. Samson had long hair because you know God can't use anybody with long hair and tattoos. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and then committed murder to cover it up. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Side note, I am not going to try that one. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Jesus. The disciples fell asleep while praying. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Timothy had an ulcer and Lazarus was dead. So what's your excuse? Right? I'm just saying the people that God uses often aren't qualified and and I bring that up because when we're thinking about building a team and in anything that God has called us to do, any endeavor that we want to see God move, whether it's something we're involved in right now or whether it's just in our heart in seed form as a God dream, and anything that God has called us to do, we're going to come to this question, do I have the right people 
or where do I find the right people? It's this question. When we started this thing, my wife and I, we didn't know anybody, had no relational connection, definitely did not feel like we had the right people. I mean, in terms of fundraising, I'm not connected. I don't know the right people to, to raise money and, and try and do this thing. And, and uh, when we get to this point, how do we increase our reach? At the heart of it is this idea, how do I develop people better? That's what we need to know as leaders. That's what I want to talk to you about today because I think everybody would want to know how to do that. And I want to do it with this story. I'll give you a few stories. I'll share some stories from, from the history in our church. But also I want to share some scripture with you. And in Luke chapter 5, uh, verse 1, it says this. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Simon is Peter. His name hasn't been changed yet. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, and they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. And these unqualified individuals formed the nucleus from which God would reach the world. It's kind of crazy when you think about it, that the fact that we're sitting here today is because of some, a group of misfits, a group of unqualified people who believed in a cause, believed in a passion, believed in a mission. But it's really not so much any crazier than what we're experiencing here today. Like you recognize that this isn't normal. Most church plants do fail after three years. Uh, it's not normal that we would not just be meeting in one room, not just in one service, but two different locations and three different services and seeing people come to Christ every weekend. It's not normal. When you look at what God has done with basically no money, most church plants today, they, they start with a minimum of 100,000. Lots of them that are, that are being really successful will start with, you know, like 350 is more, more realistic. We start with $10,000, and you see that God is reaching people and building lives, and, and destinies are being changed. And you look at, like, some of the people that God has brought, and, so, and just what is being produced. I, I'm looking around the room, and I know so many of you, and I see what God has done in your life. And I was reflecting back, how did we get here? I'm like trying to reverse engineer, like, how did we do this? Because I'm thinking, like, if I'm in your situation, you go into a place where you know it's going to take people to help you fulfill what God has called you to do. And understand, um, what we do is about people. It's not about building our thing. 
It's about building people, recognizing that they also have a thing and helping them use their thing to build other people, right? That, that's why we do this. So if, if you want to do that, not build your thing, but build people, how, how did we do it? And, and there's five activities that it revolves around. And I, I want to share them with you. If you want to learn how to do this, the first thing you have to know, the first thing you have to practice is recognition. Just simple recognition. You know, Jesus was a master of recognition. Jesus had the ability to recognize the potential in five, lo- in five loaves and two fish when nobody else could. Jesus could walk into a room and walk into a situation and recognize faith where others couldn't. If you want to be a leader, you got to become good at recognition. In fact, I want to illustrate that with this uh, point. Uh, in 2009, uh, there was an athlete who wanted to play professionally in college, and I, I found this article uh, about a scouting report on him that I wanted to share with you. It was scouting report on his perceived weaknesses. Says this, his explosiveness and athleticism are far below the pro level standard. He's extremely small for the position. It'll likely keep him from being much of a defender at the next level. He's not a great finisher around the basket. He makes silly mistakes and needs to considerably improve his ball handling. He often struggles against physical defenders and needs to add some muscle to his upper body, but it appears as though he'll always be skinny. He must develop as a point guard in order to make it in the league. He will have limited success at the next level. Do not rely on him to run your team. But, you know, the last time I checked, Steph Curry's doing all right. The, the last time I checked, in fact, I, I Googled him uh, this week just to see what people are saying now. The first line of the first paragraph on the first hit that pulled up on Google, this is what it said. It almost goes without saying that Steph Curry is the best player on the best team in basketball. Excuse me? What? How is that even possible? That's the scouting report of his perceived weaknesses. And now they're saying he's the best player on the best team? People just didn't recognize it. They didn't recognize it. That same article, uh, I read it, had this quote from the general manager of the Warriors. It said, what people who didn't like him didn't see is that he's a tremendous worker and he cares about the game. And if you look back, you see he's gotten better every single year. And if you liked him back then, you saw a glimpse of what he could become. See, where others saw garbage, the warriors saw gold. And what I recognize is that the reason most people don't see their own potential, they don't see what they can become, is because they don't like themselves that much. And to really be a developer of people, what you need to recognize is how hard people are on themselves. And to do that, all you got to do is think about how hard you are on yourself. Because most of us, our problem is not the fact that we think we're killing it. I'm not killing it that much, am I? I mean, I feel like I've been killing it for the last six years, but I could be wrong. You know, I don't know if I'm killing it that much. No, the truth is our potential is in the stuff that we've neglected. It's in the stuff that we've thrown away. We've got wastebaskets full 
of works of potential. Our trash cans are filled with trophies in the making. And so what we get to do as leaders, particularly in ministry, is we get to get into people's lives and say, no, that's, that is, that's something there. Don't, don't throw that away. Now that is something. I, I can see it in you. It's really special to be able to recognize something that's a masterpiece in the making. And I just kind of laugh at it because, like, sometimes people come up to me, especially now, I'm like, man, where, like, where do you get all these great people? Like, like where do you get your team? Like, where do you find them? And you have got to lock this into your mind. If you're a leader, you need to write this down, is that great people are not found, they're formed. Great people aren't found, they're formed. The, the, the reason some of you are, are struggling with the team is because, like, the problem is we've got this list of who we're looking for. You know, like, like I, want, I want somebody, you know, who's got a good heart, who's got a good mind, you know, I want them to be young, so they're still kind of edgy, but I want them to be wise. You know, I, I want them to be disciplined, but flexible. I, I want them to be, you know, organized, but I want them to be creative and spontaneous. You know, I, I want them to be all these different things, but it just doesn't work that way. You've got this list of people, and, and the reason you feel like you never find the right people is because, nope, they're not going to work. Definitely not them. Not them. Definitely not him. He's a three out of ten. But see, you got to understand that great people aren't found. They're formed. They're formed. Let me put it to you this way. If God didn't build a team for Jesus, what makes you think he's going to build a team for you? Jesus had to go out and assemble his own team. And then it starts with this idea of recognition. We think God's going to send us the perfect candidate out of the sky. It doesn't work that way. We want God to reveal the right person, but God wants us to recognize the gifts that he's already put in the people that he's brought us. It's recognition. Recognition, that's the first part. But the second thing I tell you is just as important. The second thing is exposure. Exposure. And this has probably been the single greatest leadership lesson God has taught me this year is exposure. I was thinking about, God, how did we get here? Like even for my wife and I, how did we get to this point? Because you got to understand, I didn't come from a Velocity church. There wasn't some mega Velocity church that sent us out. I, I've got two backgrounds. I, I got this little Methodist church background, and I've got this little dysfunctional Pentecostal background. Both these small, that, that means that sometimes the preacher would wear a robe and they'd sing hymns, and sometimes they'd blow a shofar in worship. And if you don't think that's funny, you don't know what a shofar is, and you need to go Google it because it is weird. Anyways, I'm just telling you, I didn't come from this. So, so how, did, how do we get here? How do we get here? Well, I had this dream in my heart of what I wanted to see God do. I could see it spiritually, but I hadn't seen it yet. And so my wife and I, we, we traveled around 
went to other churches and other places where God was moving, I thought, God, I think, I think you, I think you want to do that here. I think you want to do the same thing. We had to be exposed to it. I believe in this so much that this year we took 18 of us all the way to a conference in Seattle because I've got things that I want people to do that I believe God wants to do in our church here, but sometimes people, they just haven't seen it yet. They, they haven't seen it, and they've got to be exposed to it. Let me put it a different way. Some things can't be explained. You just have to be exposed to them. Some things are easier caught than they are taught. And as a leader, if the problem is what we're looking for is experience because we don't want to do the hard work of exposure. So we're looking for somebody who's got to, because that's what it means to be a leader. It means I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you how to do this. It's taking time with someone. It's this idea that, hey, this is what we have the ability to be. Now, we're not going to be exactly like this because we're us. We're not them. But we have this ability. We, we can do this. That's why, as a leader, you should never do stuff alone. I mean, look at Jesus. Look at his example. He always rolled around with an entourage. Why did he do that? Because he knew he was only going to be in ministry, doing his, the, the work God will come do for three years, that means he's got to have some other people around him who can see what he's doing so once he's gone, they can carry out the work. It's exposure. I mean, think about how he led. Jesus never sat down and taught a leadership class. He never did that. What he did do was he exposed his disciples to something, and then he broke it down for them. Master, you see that fig tree that you cursed? Look, it's withered away. Yeah, and see, if you have faith in your words, you could do that same thing. Master, why is it you were able to cast out this demon and not us? Well, that's because this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. It's exposure. You got to show them, and then you got you to see it, and then you got to show it. Now, the next two, I, I want to give you these together because th these next two, uh, you really can't separate them. They're, they're two sides of the same coin. So he'd, he'd he recognize something in them, expose them to things, but then he'd give affirmation and correction. Affirmation and correction. Sometimes we, we think that these things don't go together, uh, but the truth is they're both equal communicators of value. Now you see this with Jesus. There was this one time when Jesus had asked his disciples a question. And he said, hey, I, I want you to tell me what you think. Give me your opinion on who I am and the mission that God has called us to do. And Peter, Peter speaks up. And he answers so good. Like he gets it so right that Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. But what's interesting, in this same passage, you go down just a little bit more. Jesus, he says, hey, you got it right, and this is how this mission is going to be fulfilled, right? I'm going to have to go to the cross, and these things are going to happen. Well, Peter, he gets a little bit cocky. He's like, okay, yeah, he just, he affirmed me. I'm going to speak up again. And Peter, he gets so bold, he starts telling Jesus, no, Jesus, you shouldn't go to the cross. 
That's not the way it should be. You're supposed to be a king. You're supposed to rule and reign. And then this is what Jesus says to him. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. In the same chapter, the same mouth that affirmed Peter also corrected him. But you see, Jesus, he cared enough about Peter to affirm him when he was right, but to also correct him when he was wrong. And can I just tell you, you don't really care about people if you're not willing to correct them. You don't really care about people if you're not willing to correct them. Now, I do believe that the balance for most of us, since we're not Jesus, is like 10 to 1 affirmation to correction. Like if you want anybody to like you, if you want anybody to work with you, <laughs> you need to make sure that you're affirming them. But I think it's worth looking because most of us have trouble giving and receiving correction because we look at it wrong. What you need to know is that correcting is investing. And you don't really care about someone if you're not willing to correct them. A good leader knows when to correct. In fact, when you stop correcting, you stop caring. So, so you need to see this through the right lens because sometimes, you know, maybe on our teams or the people we're around, sometimes the people that are the most critical are actually the ones that are the most committed. And the reason they're critical is because they actually really care. That's why your parents, they seem critical sometimes because they're actually committed to your long-term success. Doesn't mean that they always got the right perspective, but I'm telling you, the reason it comes across critical, they actually care about you. So not everybody who corrects you is against you. Same time, not everybody who flatters you is for you. So to really develop a person, it comes down to, to saying, hey, I see something in you. And then when they do it, hey, I see this growing in you. That's, that's affirmation. That's what Jesus did. He, he said, Peter, you have rightly said I am the son of God. And upon this rock, I will build my church. In other words, we can build on this. That's what affirmation does. It gives you something to build on. It helps you stack the successes. Is this helping anybody? I'm just trying to reverse engineer this for you, letting you know how we got here. Now, this last one, I'm going to give you this last one. This last one is not fun. This last one you won't like. But as I think about how we got here and what God has done, I would tell you that great leaders... They're only built through hardship. Hardship. And I put that on here because the truth is, you don't really know what you've got in someone until you've gone through hard times with them. And, and I'll prove it to you from Peter because when you look at Peter's life, Jesus recognized what was in Peter. Saw him on the boat. He said, Peter, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And in other words, he didn't try and make him something he was not. He worked with what was already there. He said, you're fishing on a physical level. I'm going to show you how to do it on a spiritual level. And then he, he exposed him. What he exposed him? He exposed him that he could have a net full of fish. He, he, he got in the boat, said, cast your net to the other side, began to teach, you know, a net full of fish. He didn't just expose him to that. He, 
He exposed them to, to things beyond that. He, he took Peter, James, and John on the Mount and Mount of Transfiguration. He exposed them to the Transfiguration where they saw the glory of God in this powerful moment. He, he exposed them to great things. But, you know, it wasn't in the recognition that qualified Peter. It wasn't in the exposure. A after that, they, he affirmed them and, and corrected them because after they, that, they go down and he casts out this demon out of this boy and, and he affirms them in the right things and then he, he corrects them in the wrong things. But it wasn't the recognition. It wasn't the exposure, the affirmation, the correction. It wasn't any of those things that qualified Peter. It wasn't the transfiguration. It was the crucifixion. It was the crucifixion. It wasn't the things that Peter did right. It was actually when he failed. Not when he succeeded, but when he failed. Because Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny you ever knew me. But I've prayed for you that after you have returned, after, you'll strengthen your brothers. See, it was the hardship of failure that qualified Peter to strengthen the others. And what's interesting is that in Peter's life, it was many years later, he wrote this about hardship. He said, in all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come to you so that the prove, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So I wanted to give you hardship for two reasons. One, because I needed an H. Because let's see, it's recognition, exposure, affirmation, correction, hardship. That's going to help us reach people to reach that one. But I also need to give it to you because there's not a lot of words that are going to help get this theme in your spirit. See, some of you, you've been praying that God would take something away from you that God has actually brought into your life to strengthen you. The, the very thing that we think is hard is actually what God wants to use to build us up. Can I tell you, I truly believe it's these five things that have built the people we have. And some of you have been praying, you felt frustrated, felt burnt out, felt like it's difficult, felt overwhelmed, felt like you wanted to call it in, like this is more than I can handle, I gotta quit, I can't do this. Can I just tell you, it's hardship that forms great leaders. It's hardship that forms great people. So we gotta reach.